It's time to confront the deception of the black Hebrew Israelites. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, Michael Brown here in Toronto today. Day, and this is a special edition of Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Because of the travel schedule and ministry schedule here, I am audio only today. Also, I'm going to be answering questions, Jewish-related questions that have been posted on Twitter. So I'm not giving the, the phone number out now, but this is going to be a rich show, opening up scripture and exposing the deception of a very dangerous group I say dangerous in the worst sense of the word because they twist scripture, they bring people into bondage, they are full of hatred, they do not have the spirit of God. Now, there are black Jews today, some of them are Orthodox Jews, some of them are more secular Jews, and some of them, like my friend Sarah Masia, who's been on the broadcast a couple of times, is a Messianic Jew, a black Messianic Jew. All right, I am a white Messianic Jew. He is a black Messianic Jew. Not disputing here that there are black Jews. Not arguing here that there are some tribes or groups in Africa that can claim legitimate Israelite descent. Not arguing that. And to me, ultimately, it's not an issue whether Moses looked African or whether Moses looked Indian or whether Moses looked Chinese or whether Moses looked Caucasian, the same with Jesus. All of us, all of us spiritually that relate to to God as our Father and Jesus as our Savior, all of us have to recognize our primary identification is spiritual. What does a woman do with the fact that Jesus is male? Can she not relate to him fully because he's male? And, And because he was not all of the above. In other words, he was not Native American. He was he was not Chinese. He was not uh, he was not Nigerian. He was not American. He, in other words, he was not all different ethnicities and all different skin colors at the same time. That everybody has to relate to him a certain way that's different. Okay, I mean we we understand that. So our identification with the Messiah is not based primarily on skin color or ethnicity. It is based on a spiritual connection. So again, if Jesus was a black man, a white man, a Native American man, if he was an, an Asian man, if if he was a Caucasian man, none of that is an issue. When we emphasize his Jewishness, it has to do with his spiritual heritage and his connection back to Abraham, back to David. That's what's important in that respect. Does he connect in that way to a group of people today who are still called Jews? Yes, he does in that way. And therefore, that group of people must welcome him back to Jerusalem. And that group of people is living in Israel today and known as Jews. You say, well, what's with these Hebrew Israelites or these black Hebrew Israelites? For, for decades, I would see them on street corners in New York City. Oh, was it uh, mid-90s or early 90s? 
I confronted them with some of their lies and deception and said, you're preaching a religion of hate. Jesus preached a religion of love, but I didn't calculate. And I said, look, one day we're going to need each other. We're going to be on the bottom of the barrel, blacks and Jews, and we're going to need each other. Rather than spurring hatred, you should spur love. What I failed to calculate was that not only was I a white man speaking to these black gentlemen who had the loudspeakers and the microphones, but I was the only white guy in the crowd, which began to chat, death to America, death to the white man. Uh, so, uh, but, but over the years, here and there, someone's called the show. I'd welcome calls today. In fact, God willing, next Thursday, uh, if you're listening as a, as a black Hebrew Israelite and you want to call me and challenge me on anything I said, great. And hopefully we can set up some formal debates with some of their leaders. It's got to be with a leader. It's got to be with someone who's recognized in their circles. It's got to be someone who uh, has the respect of their peers. Otherwise, what's the use of doing the debate? Uh, Why would you debate someone on the other side that can't rightly represent their position? In any case, you want want to be fair to, to the sides, right? But, but, all that to say this. Black Hebrew Israelites claim that they are the original tribes of Israel. They claim that they are the original tribes of Israel. And one of the great proofs is they alone fulfill the curses in Deuteronomy 28. Which, by the way, there's not a worse place they could go than the last verse of Deuteronomy 28 to prove that they cannot be the original Israelites. Not a, not a worse place. It is the worst possible scripture for them to quote. It completely undoes their entire position. Yet you'll find websites offering you all these, you know, it's money if you can prove that they aren't the ones of Deuteronomy 28. And we'll get into that theology a little bit deeper in a moment. But, but, understand this. Not only are they saying that they are the original Israelites, that, that would not concern me so much if they were not preaching false things about who Jesus is. And they're different groups with different levels of doctrine. If, if they were not preaching a dangerous legalism, which many of them do. If, if they were not coming up with all kinds of falsehoods about history. And if they were not attacking Jewish people today with such lies and such venom. Many would say that the white man is the manifestation of Satan. The Jews today are imposters. And, and this is where it gets ugly in many, many ways. In, in fact, when I interviewed Rabbi Harry Rosenberg, whom I had just met in Israel, about the 10 lost tribes. We posted that interview, oh, a month or so ago. And so we are both Jews. We are both Ashkenazi Jews. It can be demonstrated genetically that we are not descendants of the Khazars, this alleged conversion of the Khazar people. And that's where modern Jews come from today or modern Ashkenazi Jews. That's been debunked historically. That's been debunked linguistically that's been debunked genetically over, over and again. It's just a myth, it's just a lie. Now, my concern is that some people I'm speaking to don't care about facts, don't care about truth. And, and, and if you're gonna convince me that you care about facts and truth, then you're gonna to have to look at sources that make clear arguments and think them through and then respond as opposed to just reject facts from geneticists and, and, and historians and things like that. But Black Hebrew Israelites would claim that someone like me, oh, well, you see, you're white skin, you're this white skin devil, and so on, all right? And you're just, you're false converts, you go back to the Khazars and, and other ugly things like that. Again, there is zero historical or genetic support for that. Zero, all right? And any, any geneticist who's argued for it has been soundly debunked 
by others, all right? There's really, there's really no debate to be had here. But they will argue that, and, and historically what, what most geneticists agree with is that there was a smallish group, it could have come down to 20,000 people that was in Europe and that has clear genetic descent going back to the Middle East, going back to the people of Israel. And that those people then in Europe through intermarriage with other Europeans, other white-skinned or Caucasian Europeans, they then converted into Judaism like Ruth did, they or to the people of Israel. They then converted into that, and then that's why you have so many Caucasian Jews. But going back to the origins and to the fathers in these families and, and to others, there is a clear Israelite descent. In any case, I, I just want to read to you a tiny, tiny sampling, a tiny sampling of the venom and ugliness that's come our way in our discussion about 10 lost tribes, acknowledging black Israelites, acknowledging black Israelites strongly as, as, as part, or black Jews, acknowledging that we got blessed. In fact, I may actually have to turn off comments for this video, which I've never done for a video yet, but I may have to because of the level of trash and ugliness and profanity that we've had to block. Uh, so Harry Rosenberg is called Little Dirty Harry Blankberg. You're not from the tribe of Judah. You are a convert, you serpent. Another. These are Amalekite Khazars. These are another offshoot of Edomites, white people. These are not real blood Israelites. Real, talking about me and, and this Rabbi Rosenberg. Real Israelites are Negro people. You can't turn a person's nationality into a religion, especially stealing a people's identity. These sons of blanks are identity thefts on the highest level, like death penalty worthy. This is the kind of junk and garbage that's out there. It's ugly. It's ugly. And this hatred must over, be overcome with love. And this, uh, this, uh, these lies, this venom must be overcome with truth. Never knew of 613 commandments till the real Jew. Afro-Americans brought it out. These red fake, red, fake red blanks make me sick. Can't wait till God comes back. Where is your Bible, devil? This is all BS, BS. These people are not the child of the Most High. These people are identity thieves. He don't know what the blank he's talking about. This video, video is BS. Ooh, how amazing when the light is turned on. The devil is still trying to save his little darkness. The chosen light are on forever and evermore. Even Hitler, a white devil like them, said, how can the Jew leave black and come back white? No wonder why he did uh, hail Hitler like he was a prophet. I mean, this, this is sicko stuff. Sicko stuff. Hazarian fake Jews and Europeans did this to us, rob and steal and rape us, and that's what you all did to all the world. You broke up the malinated people, history, way of life, and world. We're not hiding and waiting, and we're still in bondage, controlled by the Hazarian fake Jews, Rothschild, Rock, Rockefeller families, and more. We are called Negroes and blacks, but we are the real Hebrew, Israelites, Israel. Uh, uh, most of them, Dan, Hamites, aren't Israel either. Ishmaelites, for blank, sure and not. Go and read your satanic book, the Talmud, you Chazars, don't believe in the Torah, sitting there looking like two demons. Revelation 2, 9, 3, 9, read it. You say you're Jews, but you're a synagogue of Satan. Uh, Dr. Brown just got his blanking, hypocritical, racist, two faces, blank slap right now because you, sir, Dr. Brown, blank stain, have a full video. Play. Uh, anyway, on and on. Sicko, sicko, ugly, ugly, ugly stuff. So, 
no white man is a Jew, on and on it goes. I mean, I just have a little sampling. I pulled out two devils speaking about our Bible. Read Deuteronomy 28, 15 to 68. You'll know who they are, and they know the truth. Uh, how can this fake Ashkenazi Jew tell us who a Jew is? Uh, this gig is up. Fake white Jews. The world knows the real Jews are black and that you are imposters. Look at these two lying ser- serpents, LOL, effing goofs. The real Jews are the Negroes and the Americas. F out of here with your heresy gutter rats. Yeah, that's, that's probably why we will block comments to this video rather than have an endless stream of profanity that we have to block later on. We'll see. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Deuteronomy 28. We're also going to blow out of the water this notion that in the Bible, white, that's cursed, that's leprosy, that's bad. We're going to demolish that lie too. If you're listening, let the truth set you free, friend. Have the courage to follow the truth in Jesus' name, in Yeshua's name. God of light, hear our cry. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown on this thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Not taking your calls today, but I will be answering questions, Jewish-related questions that have been posted on Twitter. Now, let's debunk some of the black Hebrew Israelite nonsense, deceptive, destructive nonsense that's out there. Spread this widely. We are audio only today, but anyone can take issue with any point I've made. We'll open the phones to black Hebrew Israelites next Thursday. I invite you to call and challenge me on any point that I have raised factually, not emotionally, factually. All right, number one, Deuteronomy 28 Deuteronomy 28.68. This is the last verse in the list of curses that will come on the people of Israel if we disobey the Lord. First, it's very bizarre that there are people boasting, look at how disobedient we've been. We have been the worst of all. That proves that we're the real Israelites. Oh, that's a boast now. We alone have been so cursed. Well, if you've been so cursed, it's because you've been so disobedient. So that's the first thing you're boasting about. Look at how disobedient we've been in history. I didn't know that was something to boast about. But if you are boasting about it, that's, that's a bad boast to have. I point you to the cross where you can find salvation and forgiveness. Not only so, nowhere does it say in Deuteronomy that every single one of these curses has come to pass. That the people of Israel disobeyed on a level sufficient for all of them to come to pass. But let's say they did come to pass. Then the one group of people we know this is not referring to is Africans, blacks. That we know. Why? Because of the last verse of Deuteronomy 28, which, which says this, So the Lord shall bring you back to Mitzrayim, but in ships, but by the way of which I said you, you'll not see it again. And you will sell yourselves to your enemies. You will sell yourselves to your enemies. Okay? That's, that's what the Hebrew says. You shall offer yourselves. It is the hitpael. It is reflexive. 
So from the root machar to sell, this is simple grammar. Anyone with a few weeks of Hebrew uh, would, would then understand the use of, of hitpile when you're learning verbal forms. That's how it's used here. All right? It is reflexive. Anyone who can read Hebrew fluently, there's no argument or debate. You will sell yourselves. It's not saying you'll be kidnapped. Okay? It's not saying you will be kidnapped. And then after being kidnapped, will uh, will now offer yourselves. No, no, no. You will sell yourselves. And you'll sell yourself there to your enemies, for slaves, for male slaves and female slaves, but there'll be no one to buy you. No one will buy you. No one will buy you. So let's look at the horrific African slave trade. Let's look at the sins of America and the sins of the Europeans against the people of Africa. And of course, the slave trade in Africa was a slave trade within Africa. Africans enslaving other Africans. And there are African Christians who believe that the European and American slave trade of Africans was a judgment on the Africans for their own slave trade. And we in turn as Americans suffered the terrible judgment of the Civil War and and other judgments because of our mistreatment of blacks, our horrific, our horrific, inexcusable, mistreatment of Africans, of blacks in our history, and right up through the days of segregation and in some parts of America, right up until today. Inexcusable, sinful, ugly, period. Simple, wrong. That being said, this verse cannot apply to the Africans who were sold into slavery. First, you didn't sell yourselves. Black Hebrew Israelites, you didn't sell yourselves into slavery. You didn't say, hey, let's, let, let's see who wants to buy us. And more importantly, people, we, we meaning Americans, not me, not as in I wasn't here. My, my Jewish descendants didn't get here from Russia until the, the turn of the, the 19th, 20th, turn of the 20th century. So we had nothing to do with that slave trade. But I'm saying as, an Amer- as a white American, we bought you, okay? We sinned and bought you. You had buyers. You have had buyers around the world. So this, you're, you're not the people it's talking about. You are not the people it's talking about. You didn't sell yourselves, and people bought you. So the one verse you quote constantly cannot possibly apply to you. End of that subject, period, period. Not only so, if you said, okay, well then who does this apply to? There are times in Israel's history where this well could have applied. For example, a very reliable scholarly source, the IVP, Bible Background Commentary to the Old Testament, notes Deuteronomy 28.68, Assyrian kings of the 7th century. So this is crushing uh, the, the Israelites, bringing them into captivity in the 8th century, now in the 7th century coerce their vassals into supplying troops for their military campaigns. One way then for Israelites to return to Egypt in ships would be in the Assyrian campaigns launched from the Phoenician coast in which they were obliged to take part. This represents continued oppression by foreign enemies as the curses have detailed. Another possibility would include falling victim to Egypt's slave trade in Syro-Palestine where the slaves were often transported by ship. So there are even possibilities in Israelites' history and even nuances in some prophetic books that could easily point in this direction. Now you might say, look, look, not, not every slave was, was bought. Uh, so there were some that weren't, so, weren't, weren't purchased. No, no, Deuteronomy 28, 68 says, nobody will buy you. Nobody will buy you. So in this case, people would say, all right, just 
take us as slaves then. And people still wouldn't. People still wouldn't. <clears throat> All right. Let's, let's get into this black-white issue in Scripture. Well, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, the woman says, I'm black and beautiful, and, and don't look at me because the sun's darkened me. And, and so some would say, yeah, that, in other words, she stood out as black. And others would say, no, 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 that just shows that the Israelites were black. And then some would say, well, yeah, she could have been brown-skinned and even darkened more by the sun. That's why she says black. Black can mean darkened. Well, we won't even debate that. Let's say fine, they were black Israelites. Let's just, fine, great. Let's just say that, okay? Fine, no problem. We know that there have been mixed ethnicities uh, in, in Israel through its history. But, but let's, let's look at some references to white in the Bible. This whole idea, we'll see white leper, God cursed Miriam, her hand turned white. Now remember, if my hand turned white, something would look wrong. I would look like a severe albino. And, and when we say someone is black, if you actually had black skin, something would look wrong. So a black is not black and a white is not white. When the Bible talks about someone's hand being white like leprosy now, or, or this severe skin disease, that's white. That's extreme white, okay? That's extreme white, not my skin. And just like when the Bible talks about something being blackened, like dirt, that's not the skin of a black man, all right? But, but let's look at verses about white. How about Isaiah 1.18 where, where God says that when our sins are forgiven, that that will be as white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Notice when it says wool, it doesn't mean texture of wool. It means color of wool. White. White's beautiful. White is beautiful. How about Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, when, when the angel of the Lord appears and, and, and then or, or Daniel sees rather in a vision and he sees the Ancient of Days. He sees God sitting on the throne. His clothing was white like snow. Why white? If white's so bad and cursed, why white? And the hair of his head was like whitest wool. It doesn't say the texture was like wool. It says the color was like whitest wool. So you have angels appearing in, 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 in the Bible. Here, Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he is, and he is white as snow. And then the angels, uh, uh, John chapter 20, two angels in white. And then Acts 1, the angels, two men in white clothes. And then, and then what does it say? What does it say about Jesus in Revelation 1.14? You know, black Hebrews are say, see, his hair was like wool. His hair was like wool. Proves he's a black man. No, no, it doesn't say his hair had the texture of wool. It's so maddening when people abuse the word and they shout it out angrily and they mock others who don't have their interpretation when all they're doing is abusing scripture and twisting scripture to their own destruction. Let's blow it out of the water, friends. This is deception. And it's such bad deception. It's deception right in front of your eyes. But notice what it says. His head, his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. Does it say the texture of his, that the texture of his hair was like snow? No, it's talking about the color. His hair, white like wool and snow, but not just his hair, his head. If you want to argue anything, then you have to argue that Jesus' head is white. His face is white. This is not about 
what his skin color was. This is about the glory of the splendor of God shining out of him as he appears in his resurrected glory. All right? That's what it's talking about. And to try to say, well, this shows he had curly hair like wool. No, no, no. If it shows anything, it shows he was white. Enough with this garbage. Enough with this deception. You say, Dr. Brown, you you sound upset. I'm upset that people are slaves to lies and, and, and believing garbage and nonsense in a religion that fosters hate. I love the Jesus who died for every human being. If he was a black man or an Asian man, I love him just the same. That's not the issue. He's God incarnate. He's the savior of the world. And everyone trapped in the black Hebrew Israelite cult, call out to him today. Yeshua still saves. He'll set you free. He'll deliver you. He'll give you freedom. He'll make your sins, though they're red as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. He's the savior. He's the redeemer of us all. And can I tell every black listener, I need you. I need you. And friend, you need me. We need each It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. And we're going to have some fun now and answer some Jewish-related questions that have been posted on Twitter. Tomorrow's broadcast, we're we're answering a slew, a slew of questions that, that were posted on Facebook and Twitter. Fascinating questions we're going to deal with. I think you're really going to enjoy the broadcast. Before we get into that, uh, something very interesting in Israel taking place uh, and, and in America, American Jews. So big gay pride event in Jerusalem as always, Orthodox Jewish opposition to it, rightly so, understandably so. I wrote about the coming ideological civil war. It's there. It's been there through Israel's history. It's going to get greater in the days to come as the nation, the secular nation, very liberal, the religious part of the nation increasingly Orthodox. You're going to have a clash that gets bigger and uglier. So there are now rabbis. There are 200 ultra-Orthodox rabbis in Israel that signed a letter basically condemning gay activism in Israel, condemning the gay pride event and things like that using very strong language. Now, some rabbis in America, liberal rabbis, gay rabbis, yeah, there are gay rabbis, have written a letter standing with Israel's LGBT community, including, quote, liberal Orthodox rabbis. You say, what's a liberal Orthodox rabbi? That would be like a liberal evangelical. In other words, someone that claims to hold to all the fundamentals of the faith but is on on the left side of it, and many would question whether that person could truly be an evangelical anymore. The same way, if you are going to support committed same-sex relationships, you could really no longer call yourselves orthodox. You're now so fringe orthodox, you're really out of that camp. But that'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. All right, let me go to Twitter. Oh, just another reminder. If you are... Anywhere near Minneapolis, well, Maplewood, Minnesota. So any, anywhere in Minnesota, if you make it out this weekend, it's going to be an awesome time. Worship with Paul Wilbur, Bob Gladstone speak. If you've never heard Bob Gladstone speak, he's one of the most dynamic, gifted 
biblically-based speakers <clears throat> I know in the world. My friend Scott Volk, passionate anointed hard for Israel. I'll be speaking. Maplewood, Minnesota, all the details. So it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'll be speaking Friday night, Saturday morning as well before flying over to California. If you're anywhere near Gilroy, California, three Sunday morning services on Jewish apologetics. How often do I get to do that, ask to do that on a Sunday morning? Anyway, anyway, join me. Go to my website, askdrbrown.org, and click on itinerary. Okay, let's get to your questions here. Um, okay, oh, hang on, hang on. I clicked on the wrong part on Twitter. My friend John Zmirak from, from the stream, brilliant and funny. Yeah, I got one. Could you send a message via the Global Zionist Pneumatic Tube Network to ask the Rothschilds for slightly cooler weather down in Texas? Thanks in advance. And I wrote back, done. All right, John is a brilliant guy. And, of course, ripping apart the idea that there's this worldwide Jewish conspiracy that Jews control everything. So here we control the the Internet. That is the Global Zionist Pneumatic Tube Network. And the Rothschilds, these rich Jews that allegedly control the world, we are controlling the climate. So, John, we got that taken care of. I hope the weather's, maybe I'll even have a blizzard there in Texas today. Uh, Let's see, Lori, this marriage receives the favor and blessings of Jewish descendants by God. Uh, Okay, I don't understand the questions. Maybe there's more from Lori. Jewish by race, but doesn't practice the religion. Are they still considered Jewish? Is it considered extremely wrong to marry someone out of the Jewish race? Ah, I read the questions in the wrong order. Would that person be disowned or would the spouse children be disowned because not Jewish? Uh, will the children of this marriage receive the blessing and favor of Jewish descendants by God? Okay, got it. Totally clear. Number one, to say you're Jewish can mean both religion and ethnicity. Or it can mean ethnicity and it can mean religion. I'll explain. There are some people who are Jewish by ethnicity who are atheists. They don't believe in God. There are Jewish Buddhists. There are Jews in every religion and cult. And yet they're still Jews. When I got baptized, the rabbi said to my father, so you know what your son is now? He's a baptized Jew. In other words, once a Jew, always a Jew, because that is by ethnicity. However, If there is no religious practice, what will generally happen is within a few generations, all trace of Jewishness will disappear because of intermarriage, intermarriage, intermarriage. So there's no trace of Jewishness any longer. All right. So that's that's the first thing. Second thing is there are those who are Gentiles who convert to Judaism. And at that moment, they are considered Jews. So even though there is no bloodline, The moment they convert, they are now practitioners of Judaism and are therefore Jews. So to say you're Jewish can be ethnic only, can be religious only, and in most cases is ethnic and religious. You are ethnically Jewish and you are a practitioner of Judaism. If you marry a non-Jew and you're not a religious Jew, these days it's very common. It happens in in America, probably 50% or more of Jewish weddings are to non-Jews. If you come from a religious family, you are cut off. You or that is a serious violation. That is something absolutely wrong. That is a betrayal of Judaism. If the person, the Gentile, converted to Judaism and now married the Jew, that would not be the issue. The issue is 
if a Jew married a non-Jew, it would be in a religious home. That would be something that would be very ugly, that would bring a terrible familial breach, deep, deep breach in the family. Absolutely. Now, how does God look at it? Well, God's looking first and foremost to those people know him personally. And if it's a Jewish believer in Jesus marrying a Gentile believer in Jesus, that can be a holy union blessed by God. And if it's a secular Jew marrying a secular Gentile, the big issue is, do they know God? Will they come to know God? Can we pray for them to come to know God? That's the greater issue. That being said, God is jealous to preserve the Jewish people. So Jews marrying Jews and maintaining their identity is a good thing because God made lasting promises to the Jewish people. But how he looks at that in terms of now that's Jew and a Gentile, now maybe the kids marry all Gentiles, now maybe those kids marry all Gentiles, and is God looking 30 generations later and saying, well, you had a drop of Jewish blood here? No, I don't, I don't believe so personally. All right. Um, is Isaiah 118, this is from Robert, a comparison to leprosy that is a warning to repent then or rather than a picture of cleansing. Overall, the chapter warns and promises choose life or death. No, no, no. To say in Isaiah 118, which interestingly I just spoke of the, the earlier part of the broadcast, though your sins be red as scarlet, they'll be white as wool, white as snow. No, this is beautiful. This is wonderful. God said, let's reason together. This is a beautiful, wonderful promise. They're red like scarlet. They'll be white like snow, white like wool. No, no, no. This is not something negative. This is not a judgment. This is saying if you'll listen, if you'll obey, if you'll repent, then your sins will be washed clean. Um, so, Kareen, what does the New Testament teach? Ephesians 1, 2, 3, we're seated in heavenly places and our authority is there while... In Hebrew, we learn lower we get, the better. Oh, oh, okay. This is not just in Hebrew thought. This is in biblical thought, Old Testament, New Testament. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. God resists the proud. God exalts the humble. James, Jacob 4, 1 Peter 5, Luke 14, 14 tells us that everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. and Everyone who humbles themselves will be abased. This is exactly what it's saying. You humble yourself, God raises you up. This is exactly the same thing. We humble ourselves by recognizing our need for God, by confessing our sin, by asking him to have mercy on us and to wash us and cleanse us. We're desperate, we're, we're hopeless outside of him. He forgives us and by his all by his grace, he raises us up and seats us in heavenly places because of which we are humbled forever and ever. Uh, let's see, uh, Randy do Jewish people still offer sacrifices for atonement if they don't recognize Jesus as the once-for-all sacrifice? What do they do to cover their sins? Randy, you're asking this perspective in a great Christian way, meaning that to you it's so clear Jesus is the only way, and without his sacrifice we have nothing. You're assuming Jews think the same way. Uh, Jews would offer sacrifices if the temple was standing today. They can't offer sacrifices where there's no temple. The Samaritans living in Israel will still offer a Passover sacrifice and things like that, and they claim to be, have true Israelite descent. But in point of fact, no, Jews do not offer sacrifices because there's no temple standing, but they, they do not believe that blood sacrifices are the only means of atonement. They believe that repentance is the first and foremost means of atonement, repentance and change of life, and that also prayer and the giving of charity and that even suffering that you pass through would provide atonement. Now, I differ with that. 
I say that if we reject Jesus as the Messiah, that there is no atonement for the nation based on scripture. But rabbis would say, no, we have these other means of atonement and we can argue that scripturally as well. Matthew, my father's mother's grandfather, Frederick, was Jewish of Syrian origins but wasn't practicing. Does that disqualify me from the covenants that God gave to the patriarchs and to the leaders of Israel? Um, This doesn't disqualify you, but you wouldn't have a direct connection as an Israelite. In, In other words, with your mother and your father both being Gentile and with only one relative on your uh, father's, mother's, grandfather. So, no, you're, you're a Gentile, but all the promises of God are available to you through Jesus. Not a promise specifically given to an Israelite at a specific time, just like you're a man, there are promises to women in the Bible, right, that, that we can't have. So God, for example, promised the land of, of Israel to the Jewish people, but he promised the whole world to, to, the, to the rest of his followers. So rejoice in those things. And every spiritual blessing God promised Israel belongs to you in Jesus. Uh, let's see here. We have time. Uh, tell you what, I'm going to read the question and answer it on the other side of the break. Greg, I watched a video where someone asked Ben Shapiro what he thinks of Jesus. And at first he tried showing common ground but then started to say bad things about Jesus when pushed in a corner. Should we push Jews in a corner to get a decision or focus on common ground? All right, we'll answer that on the other side of the break. Uh, I emailed Ben last year maybe and said, you know, I assume you don't want to do this. Not because he'd be afraid or intimidated, not, not Ben Shapiro. He's brilliant and great debater and, and well-educated. But I just, I thought he wouldn't want to do this for a few reasons. And I said, hey, I assume you wouldn't want to do a debate about who is Jesus or who is the Jewish Messiah. But I get asked a lot, why don't I debate Ben Shapiro on this? I said, I'd love to. And uh, he said, no, thanks, Dr. Brown, but I I don't enjoy religious debate. So I left it there. But maybe one day we'll get to have a discussion. That'd be awesome. I'd love it. All right. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire, answering your Jewish Twitter questions. Now, no, not Jewish questions about Twitter, but your Jewish-related questions. Post it on Twitter. Hey, listen, now is the time. We talked about it yesterday, but now is the time. If you're coming to Israel with us in February, now is the time to sign up. We make decisions very soon, cut off point, how many people we can bring with us, size of bus, those kinds of things. So by all means, if you're thinking of coming, the trip of a lifetime, and I can assure you, I can assure you, the quality of what you're getting is worth every dime. Holy fire in the Holy Land. Find out about it on my website, askdrbrown.org, right on the homepage. All right, so... To answer the question for Greg, I watched a video where someone asked Ben Shapiro what he thinks of Jesus, and at first he tried showing common ground, but then started to say bad things about Jesus when pushed in a corner. Should we push Jews in a corner to get a decision or focus on common ground? Number one, I I don't believe that Ben said bad things about Jesus, but just as a Jewish man, as an Orthodox Jew, why he himself and why other Orthodox Jews don't believe in Jesus. But he didn't, he didn't badmouth him or speak ugly things about him the way some Jewish traditions would. That's the first thing. A second thing, 
I don't think it was pushed in a corner, but just challenged more specifically on certain points, and he gave forthright answers. But wherever we can find common ground for common good, we do it. Where we can uh, fight wrong ideologies, where we can stand for pro-life, where we can support justice, we do that together, gladly. Many years ago in Maryland, when, when we were circulating petitions to churches, to ask a big food chain that said it was so family friendly, well then, could you just take magazines like Cosmopolitan and stuff and just put them in the magazine section rather than at checkout counters? You know, would you do that? That there was a mosque that signed on. We couldn't get a lot of churches to sign on, but a mosque said, can we sign on? We said, sure, that's fine. So whatever you find common ground on certain issues, yeah, do it, great. Uh, and whatever we can find common ground in appreciation of certain religious traditions, great. And you never want to make someone uncomfortable or push them in a corner if you don't have the relationship to do it. That being said, by all means, let's highlight our differences. By all means, let's put on the table where we have disagreements and let's learn from each other and challenge each other. And if you have the relationship with someone, someone you love, maybe someone you love is destroying their, their, their lives. They, they are drinking heavily and, and, and they're, they're destroying their lives. If you love them, you're going to try to push them in a corner. If you love them, you're going to sit with them and say, look, you, you can't, you can't, I'm pleading with you, you can't live like this. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to destroy your family. You can't do this. That's one thing. But to just meet someone and think, well, I, I'm pushing you in a corner to answer. If you don't have the relationship, of, co of course not. All right, but thank you for the question. Tom, uh, how do you make more Jewish friends, <laughs> interesting after the other question, to evangelize them? There's a large Jewish community in our city, and I'd like to start sharing the gospel with them. Follow up best strategies for evangelism with Jews. Okay, uh, number, number one, number one, uh, you use the same principles for Jewish people as for everybody else. You use the same principles for evangelism in terms of love people, take an interest in their lives, and evangelize them because you love them. Don't befriend them in a superficial way so you can get their trust, you can evangelize them, and if they don't listen, then you cut them off. No, evangelize people because you love people. All right, that's where you start. So get to know Jewish people in your community. Find opportunities. Uh, see if you can do some work that brings you close. See if you can uh, work out in the gym with, with folks. See if you can get involved in social events. See, wherever you can cross paths, do so, all right? And then, do, and then and if, as soon as you get to talk, you can say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, I've got this great love for Israel, great love for Jewish people. It's, it, you know, and be forthright about who you are, all right? And then principles of evangelism. If it's a secular Jew, you're, you're probably talking to someone just like a secular Gentile, but it may come up that Jews don't believe in Jesus in church history, in, in which case um, my, the first volume of answering Jewish objections to Jesus would really help you. Well, Jews don't believe in Jesus, you know, just the basic superficial objection. So I'd strongly encourage you to get volume one of answering Jewish objections to Jesus and start there with just understanding the basic objections and how to overcome them, all right? If you're talking to a more religious Jew, they're gonna bring up deeper issues, in which case you really need to educate yourself. Unless you just wanna say, hey, I don't have answers for those things. You know, uh, Check out the Real Messiah website, realmessiah.com. You'll find lots of answers there and debates there with rabbis and just point them in that direction. 
that's great. Uh, and, and if you have specific questions that you, you're trying to get the answers, write to us. Write to us at sdrbrown.org and say, hey, I've, I've got a question. I'm trying to reach out to Jewish people. I've got a question and, and uh, you know, right, I don't have an answer to it. We're happy to help you in your outreach, but then get educated yourself through my books, through our debates and materials at realmessiah.com. But a more religious Jew is now going to raise more arguments and objections, and they may be a little over your head, in which case, here we are. We're ready to help, and we have the materials and the resources. All right, let's see. Um, uh, Milky Way, why are the 12 tribes of Israel different between different books of the Bible? Here's the easy answer. Here's the hard answer. The easy answer is that uh, it depends on numbering. You have Joseph, right? One person who then has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, or Ephraim and Manasseh, and then Manasseh the firstborn, but Ephraim getting the first blessing. So Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Israel. He then has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. So now you have these uh, you have 13, but then Levi does not have a portion, a, a land portion. Everyone else gets a land portion. The Levites live among the rest of the 12 tribes. So if you just have a list of the 12 sons of Israel, you're going to have Joseph and Levi. If you have the 12 tribes listed, then Manasseh and Ephraim take the place of Joseph. This is in terms of inheritance, all right? And then Levi doesn't get a specific inheritance. That being said, that being said, what about the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter, that lists 12 tribes and doesn't list Dan? Why is that? We don't know for sure. We don't know. There are different theories, and none of them are compelling to me. Laura can Christians who love and support Israel wear the Star of David, or is it frowned upon by other Jews? Jewish people are diverse people. And I can tell you certain things you could do that would offend every Jew on the planet, right? Like wear a swastika. You're going to offend virtually every Jew on the planet. There are other things that, you know, a woman in a mini, mini skirt, is that going to offend Jews? Well, it's going to offend a religious Jew. Religious Jewish man will turn his back. Religious Jewish man will tell, tell you don't come into our community dressed like that in Israel. On the other hand, some liberal Jew might say, hey, you look really hot. You follow me. You know, Jews are a diverse people. So what about wearing a Star of David? Some Jews might think it's awesome. You wear a Star of David, they start talking to you. You're, you're not Jewish? No, I just, I just love the people of Israel. I love the Jewish people, and I love to show my support. Awesome! The more friends we have, the better. You might talk to another Jew, and they're saying, why are you pretending to be a Jew? Why are you doing that? But uh, look, there's, there's another thing. There's another thing where there are Christians who wear a Star of David with a cross in it. Does that offend you? Some Jews, that really offends. Yes, absolutely. Other Jews... Neat. What's that? Oh, I'm a Christian who loves Israel. So there's diversity there. And if you want to do it, I think it's great to do. I think it's great to do. And it tells other Gentiles you stand with Israel. 
Uh, RWK, when presenting the gospel to Jews, what approach have you found to be the most effective in being able to present Yeshua and assure them you aren't trying to replace their Jewish identity with a Christian one? Uh, the reason, uh, the re- excuse me, uh, the best approach is to tell the truth. The best approach is to say, look, I, I'm talking about the Jewish Messiah. I'm talking about a man named Yeshua. His mother is Miriam. His disciples were men like, like Yochanan and Yaakov. In, in fact, show them, show them my video, Who Cut the Church Off from Its Jewish Roots, where we address these things in five and a half minutes. Yeah, by all means. By all means. Uh, we are asking a Jewish person to follow the Jewish Messiah. What about Sabbath observance? Well, that's between you and God. You'll find true rest in the Messiah, but you'll find that Messiah establishes God's principles and God's laws and God's truths. The Sabbath, if you've been a Sabbath observant person, you'll find deeper meaning. Excuse me. You will find deeper meaning now in Sabbath rest, and you may find that some of the traditions you've had were, were constricting, but you'll find deeper rest. You'll find deeper meaning in the, the feasts. And if you never practice these things, if it becomes on your heart to practice them, great. You'll probably have a greater uh, uh, connection to the Jewish people than ever before. Given my book, The Real Kosher Jesus, and Matlatsi, why are so many Jewish racists uh, towards black people, including Jews from Africa, Actually, it's a minority that are racist, but there's racism among all people, unfortunately. Jews fought side by side with, with uh, black Americans in the civil rights movement, and overall, Israel is very welcoming of black Jews, but yes, there are some who've been racist, and it's unfortunate, and it's ugly. It's just sinful human nature, and I'm sad that it exists among the people of Israel, too. Hey, friends, we're out of time back with you tomorrow. You've got questions. We've got answers. 